Coming up on today's show, I review the Amazon-exclusive film, The Aeronauts, and also you'll be hearing my conversation with actress, writer, and director Honey Lauren about her latest short film, Wives of the Skies. This was one of the most informative conversations that I've had in a while. We really dive into her career, uh, what made her want to become a performer, her transition to working behind the camera, and what she has coming up in the future. All that coming up on today's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, which starts right now. What's going on, everybody? It is episode 252 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. I am your host, Derek Diamond. And it's getting to be uh, quite comfortable on Facebook Live. I've This week, I've started doing my daily morning show. It's been a lot of fun. I had, I think, over 100 people watch the first episode. Around the same for today's show, if you're watching this live on Facebook. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, as I mentioned on the show last week, I am working from home. So in order to kind of break up the monotony it kind of gave me the idea to do my own daily show because I, I respect shows that they don't just do a weekly podcast. Like you've got to have some dedication to do a weekly show. And I, I tell people that like, it's, it's not easy to do a weekly podcast, but to do one five days a week or some do it every day. You know, there's a, a podcast that I listen to that they've been doing a show every single day since they were quarantined. So it's it's absolutely wild. Oh, Rob from the legendary First Circus has joined. Welcome, Rob. Thank you for watching. So it's something that, you know, I, I've been having a lot of fun with. And it's there's been really good discussion on what to watch while you're in quarantine because things are kind of nuts right now with the coronavirus. And I, I touched on it a little bit last week, but in addition to me working from home, it's like I have a lot more time to do stuff that I'm not used to having. And it's been kind of weird because with my job, I'm just so used to just constantly going and going and going, going at 100 miles per hour. The fact that if I'm not doing anything, I get bored really quickly because I have to do something productive during the day, whether it's edit the podcast, whether it's work on my next script, you know, I have to do something throughout the day or at least something during the day, but I've been having a lot more time to watch stuff and that kind of goes into at least the temporary direction of the show because I had a contingency plan for baseball season, which was supposed to start in two or three weeks. Uh, Josh Shinnewerk and Brittany Smith have joined. Thank you guys for watching. So I had this plan in place, and now it's like I had to come up with... I had to scramble to do more content, which might sound kind of weird, but it's like I had all this stuff in the can because I have panels that I moderated at the comedy festival back in January that I haven't released yet because I was saving them for baseball season. So if there was a, a week where there was a homestand and I didn't have time to do a show, I could have just released that. 
But now I'm just going to hold those in the can for, I don't want to say an indefinite amount of time, because I will release them at some point. But um, yeah, I don't know when that's going to be, because I mean, eventually baseball is going to happen. It could be mid-May, it could be early June, it could be late June. My my personal prediction, and I guess I'll say that so I won't get in trouble, in my opinion, I think is what you're supposed to say to not get in trouble, I don't think we're going to have baseball until late June, which which means that I've got quite a bit of time to fill content for this show. Now, my original plan was I was going to release these panels and then batch record some discussions with friends about movies that have already come out, whether it's like the 35th anniversary of a movie, 40th anniversary. That way I would have stuff in the can. But now I don't necessarily have to do that. So what the the plan is for right now, and that's probably going to change once baseball actually happens, but my plan is I'm going to do a live show every week. And it's going to be every Tuesday at 8 p.m. It's going to be either a review discussion like this that I'm doing by myself. I might bring a friend on to review a movie. Because my, my plan was I was going to review a, a summer movie like Black Widow or Wonder Woman 1984. Whatever was coming out throughout the summer. Well, all of those movies have been pushed back due to the coronavirus because they actually announced today that Wonder Woman's not going to come out until, I think, August. We still don't know when Black Widow is going to come out. So I have to then go to Netflix, Amazon Prime, other streaming sources to get content to talk about. Now, I might still bring on friends to review older movies just to break up. I don't want to say the monotony, but... So that way I'm not doing the exact same thing every single week. So that's what you're going to get for the foreseeable future. And you guys are going to decide on what I review every week. So if you go on my Facebook page now, as well as Twitter, I posted a poll on what you guys would like to see me review for next week. Now, the thing that sucks about Facebook is that it only gives you two options. One is Little Women, and the second is Logan Lucky. Little Women was one of those movies that came out near the end of 2019. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see it during its theatrical run. But I've heard nothing but phenomenal things about it, and I do really want to watch it. And Logan Lucky just looks like one of those fun movies that I would watch at 11 o'clock at night on a Friday or a Saturday. You're just sitting at home, might make you know something simple for dinner, and just kick back, shut the lights off, and turn my brain off and enjoy the ride. But the thing is, I'm going to have a lot more time to review stuff. So the poll will run from now until Friday, and that will give me the weekend to watch whatever the winner is going to be. Now, what I might do for the following week is invite a friend on and pick two options that I don't know if it's going to be, you know, maybe Steve Wise would be one. It could be someone else. I have no idea. But uh, we'll, we'll have to decide that over the weekend. But for my review this evening is a movie that uh, Adam Waldron, who was one of the first guests, actually technically the first guest on the show, recommended to me. And it was called The Aeronauts. 
And this movie came out in 2019, and it's a biographical adventure film directed by Tom Harper and written by Jack Thorne from a story co-written by Thorne and Harper. And it's based on the 2013 book Falling Upwards, How We Took to the Air by Richard Holmes. Now, first off, I didn't know this was based off of a book whenever I watched it. And he told me about this movie a couple of weeks ago, but I just haven't sat down and watched it. And then finally I was like, you know what? I told him that I would watch it, so I'll make that my first actual review of this stretch of live shows. Let's see, Emily Dillon and Corbin Stuckey have joined. Thank you guys for watching. So I I didn't know really what to expect from this movie because I didn't watch any trailers. I didn't watch any any content for it because this was a movie that I wanted to go in completely blind. And Adam had given me a brief synopsis on what the movie was about. Because that, that's kind of what I like to do now for movies like this, that if I don't know anything about it, if I don't follow the the making of it, uh, Corbin says, when are you going to have me on the show? We'll, we'll chat about that. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm being a little more flexible on content because whenever I switched the format of the show, I wanted to strictly have uh, filmmakers on the show, whether that's for a review or for um, an interview. But we'll, we'll chat about that, Corbin. We'll, we'll chat off air about that. But I didn't quite know what to expect from this film. And I'll admit I haven't gotten too big into the whole Netflix exclusive or Amazon exclusive, Hulu exclusive stuff. Other than a brief few things, because, you know, I really got into the Marvel shows on Netflix, especially Daredevil and the first season of Jessica Jones. They The quality kind of fell off after the first season with Daredevil being the exception to that. But I, I did binge those shows, especially Daredevil, because I love that character. I remember reading the comic books back in you know the early 2000s after the Ben Affleck movie came out, which I'm, I'm actually one that I don't completely hate that movie. It doesn't hold a candle to the show, but if you watch the director's cut of that movie, and this might be a discussion for a whole other podcast, but um, let's see. Um, let me close that window out real quick. But that's a whole discussion for another podcast. If you watch the director's cut of the Daredevil movie, it's actually very good. It's a little more gritty and has an entire subplot that you know was completely cut out of the theatrical version. So, I, and again, I didn't know really anything about the Aeronauts. I didn't know that it was exclusive to Amazon. It's an Amazon original film. But it premiered at the... Uh, Telluride Film Festival on August 30th, 2019, followed by a showing at the 2019 Toronto International Film Festival. And then it was released in the U.S. on December 6th of 2019. And I'll also say the only actor that I know from this film is Felicity Jones, and I only know her from Rogue One. And I did really enjoy her in that movie, and I enjoyed her in this movie as well that I'll get to in a second. But to give kind of a brief synopsis of what the story is about, it takes place in the 1800s in London. Scientist James Glacier and pilot Amelia arrive for a balloon launch. 
essentially what this movie is about. Oh, this is like a. I'm looking at Wikipedia. This is like just a, a summary of the movie from like start to finish. So essentially, um, Eddie Redmayne plays a scientist named James Glacier. You could say he's the first meteorologist. He believes that the weather can be predicted, but he has to go into a balloon into the upper sky to get accurate readings, and he needs a pilot. So um, Amelia, who is played by Felicity Jones, she's an aeronaut, essentially a balloon pilot. And throughout the movie, you know, you find out fairly early on that her husband has passed away, but to not really give away any spoilers, you find out how he passes away, and it's really traumatic to her, and she still hasn't really confronted her, I don't want to say anxieties, but essentially her her dealings with that, she has essentially buried this deep inside of her, and she won't confront it. She suppresses it instead. You find out through flashbacks, and that, that was something that kind of surprised me throughout the movie, is that the goal is actually achieved fairly early on, and it's one of those movies that goes through flashbacks, and it kind of shows um, Glacier's past, it shows Amelia's past, and you kind of build the backstory from there. But for a... And I guess I shouldn't talk down to Amazon and Netflix originals because the quality is actually very good. Visually, it's a very stunning film, especially the, the shots inside the balloon. And I'm fairly confident that they just filmed this in front of a blue screen. But the lighting and, and everything of these scenes looks really, really good. Like, this is legit, like, big-budget quality stuff. And the the budget was only $40 million. Now, it didn't make that much at the box office because it had, honestly, a very, very limited run. But overall, you know, I, I've heard nothing but good things about the film from what, you know, I, I've read about it since seeing it because I, I didn't read any reviews or anything like that leading up to it because I just wanted to just sit down and, and enjoy it. The pacing, I thought, was was interesting because I, I'm not the biggest fan of nonlinear storytelling, but I can appreciate it, and I, I've seen it done much worse than it was done here. But I'm not really the biggest fan of it. Like, I have really no issue with it, but it's not a story that I necessarily would make. But uh, it, it, kind of moving on to the actual acting, I, I thought, you know, the, the two leads did a fantastic job because I, I'm a huge fan of films that have a very limited cast as far as the leads go like I'll use I am legend as an example that the majority of that movie was Will Smith by himself well he had his dog with him but as far as human interaction he had very very limited reaction same thing with Tom Hanks and Castaway to me actors that can act by themselves and carry an entire film or a duo because it, it, it kind of had even though the the budget was forty million and it, it looked fantastic and it felt like a, a big budget film, 
it was a very intimate story with these two characters and them dealing with their own issues and confronting them throughout the story and kind of banding together to avoid catastrophe because there there's some dramatic stuff fairly early on in the film and again that was another concern of mine because this this huge I I won't I'll go ahead and say it they get caught in a thunderstorm and you're thinking that they both might die well they obviously don't but this happens within like the first the first third of the movie and I was thinking, where are they going to go from there? Because there was a little bit of a dead time between that and then the other climactic moment of the film. And I was thinking, where's the where's the suspense here? I, I get the conflict, but there's no like giant. I want to say dispute would be the right word to say, but I feel like the suspense wasn't really there until nearly the end when you find out what happened to Amelia's husband and then the 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 moments that happen after that but I I really felt like this was a really well done film and it made me appreciate even more the smaller budget films because really leading up to when I made the Parker syndrome was when I really got into independent film there were some that I had watched every now and then. You know, obviously, I'm a huge fan of Clerks and the Kevin Smith universe. But other than that, I didn't really have that much exposure to the independent world. And th- this just continues. And this is a great thing for filmmakers, not just myself, but really for for anybody who wants to make a film. Because there are so many avenues out there. And I would even throw in YouTube. I've seen some really good-looking short films on YouTube. Now, the problem with that is everything is a little more competitive because you have all these different outlets. But 20 years ago, I probably wouldn't have been able to make a movie. And now with you know the, the people that I know, the connections I've made, I can do that. Now, we're going to see when that's because I'm not going to say if because I am going to make another movie but that will probably be well one when this whole coronavirus thing calms down but I've got to finalize the script first I, I had hoped to shoot it this summer whether that happens or not I'm not sure it might have to wait until the fall but we'll we'll have to see but that'll be something that I talk about you know in the in the coming months but overall I would absolutely recommend the aeronauts because it's it's a nice I won't call it little because I feel like that term is kind of demeaning but it, it's a nice little intimate story with great visuals good acting the cinematography I thought was really good there's not too much to knock about it even though as I mentioned I think my biggest criticism would be it felt a bit slow around the middle of the movie and the the going back and forth between flashbacks got a little bit I won't say jarring but a, a little excessive if you will but overall I I really enjoyed the film and I actually liked that I didn't know really any of the actors other than Felicity Jones I think she was the highlight of the film you know I thought um Eddie Redmayne who played James Glacier 
did a nice job too. But I felt like Amelia's story really carried the film overall. And it was nice, you know, being introduced to, to new actors because that's another great aspect about these Amazon original films or streaming original films. It gives more people work, not just directors and writers. It gives actors more opportunity too. But overall, I would, I would highly recommend that you watch The Aeronauts. It's, I think, how long is this movie? I want to say it was under two hours, or it had to have been right at two hours. No, actually, I think it was, and I should have looked this up, or I should have had it in front of me, but it was, it was a good movie. I, I actually very much enjoyed it, and I'm glad that Adam recommended it to me. Because otherwise, I probably wouldn't have known about it. But I look forward to watching more movies like this in the coming weeks. Even some that I'll never review on this show. Because I, I am a fan of film first. And I'm going to, I would be watching movies you know, regardless if I was doing the show or not. But I, I am glad that it gives me the opportunity to uh, have this outlet to discuss these movies. But on a scale of 1 to 10, I would probably give this movie a solid 7, 7.5. A Rotten Tomatoes, it has an approval rating of 72% based on 178 reviews, with an average score of 6.42 out of 10. Uh, the consensus states, thrilling visuals and the substantial chemistry of its well-matched leads make the aeronauts and adventure well worth taking. Metacritic gave it an average score of 60 out of 100 based on reviews from 36 critics. So sounds like Rotten Tomatoes pretty much agrees with what I was saying. So um, yeah, overall, that would be my thoughts on the Aeronauts. Definitely, definitely check it out. But all in all, I think that's um, I'm going to wrap up for this week's live show. For those who are listening or watching live, thank you guys as always. For those who are listening on the download, stay tuned for my interview with actress slash writer slash director, Honey Lauren. We actually had a really good discussion about her career and really what it takes to make it into the film industry and really stay in it you know, for as long as she has. It was one of the more informative chats that I've had in quite a while so uh, definitely stay tuned and check that out but for those who are watching live I'll see you guys next week joined with my very special guest this week actress writer and director Miss Honey Lauren how are you ma'am Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. How are you doing? Doing good. Yeah, we were just talking before we started. Things are a little hectic right now yeah. with, you know, everything that's going on with the virus and things just closing one by one. And it's like, what is yeah. there really to do now except for, you know, stay inside, watch TV and listen to mm -hmm. podcasts, which hopefully Yay. you're doing. <laughs> That's the thing to do for sure. Yeah, absolutely. There, yeah, there could be actually a better time. Yeah, it's um, but I, I think you know it, it's something that will will be okay 
at the end of it. That's what I've been trying to tell people is that just yeah. keep a keep a positive outlook. And I know there's a lot of stuff that's reported on, you know, Facebook and various yeah. news outlets, you know, really across multiple platforms. But if you just stay safe and you know keep a level head, I think we'll we'll all be okay. I agree. I mean, I feel that's so important is to not get feed into the panic not go crazy in the anxiety of it all and try to follow what um, you're being told to do right now. We have to try this social distancing and especially I live in Los Angeles, California and uh, we're on like a semi lockdown, but I do think that having doing this is, is something that we can proactively do to maybe make it much better for ourselves ultimately because so, we don't want to be like Spain. It's so sad or Italy. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And so here we have this sort of like kickstart go, okay, let's try this like several weeks before we're supposed to be hit in the same way. I think we were two weeks behind, like three weeks ago, I was like, Oh God, we shouldn't be talking to each other. Like it just felt really bad being out there and irresponsible. So anyway but i do feel like this is going to do something it has to help improve at least the curve of it so that we don't all get it at the same time not to overwhelm the system yeah no I, and i would agree with yeah. that and you mentioning la you know even the movie industry is is feeling it too with oh. all these productions getting shut down and yeah. like how, how is that uh you know with oh, you being gosh. in los angeles what is that aspect like out there it is shut down for sure shut down I have some things that are supposed were supposed to happen at the end of April in terms of work and prior in the last couple of weeks, maybe maybe about three weeks ago, I was going out on auditions and it felt very ambivalent. And I was like, this doesn't feel like it's going to happen because things were starting to creep in. And sure enough, things got canceled. Everything, commercials, television shows, films, everything's been canceled right now. Uh, there was some crazy casting call out today saying, hi, make a video of yourself um, taking uh, during the quarantine, how you would have a party. I'm thinking by yourself. What are they trying to ask us to do? But I mean, that's the kind of stuff they're casting now. Really crazy. So uh, nothing is happening here in terms of that. We all have to be really just hold on and try and get through this. Yeah, so complete shutdown. <laughs> That's it's absolutely insane. Like I keep hearing news stories about you know this movie being canceled or not canceled but postponed. postponed. This other big budget mm -hmm. movies being postponed, and then movies are coming out on digital early. Which yes, is which that's is the other thing. which is insane because you normally have to wait like four months or maybe even longer to to watch a movie yeah. that you saw in the theater at your house. But uh, kind of going off of that, you know, you I was reading yeah. your bio. Um, you're actually a native mm -hmm. of Los Angeles, which I, I feel like yeah. is uh, almost the minority of filmmakers, actors, <laughs> you know, directors that I talk to. Is like everyone moves from whether it's Chicago. New York, somewhere yeah. in Florida. Very rarely do I chat with somebody <laughs> who grew up in LA. So you you were around all this, yeah, uh, at, at, from well, an yeah, early age. Absolutely, uh, but you know it was a crazy thing. I had these super cool parents growing up, very groovy. And my father, at one point, he um, was a film editor, and he did very well for the time that he did it. He, he ended up getting out of business because ultimately he didn't enjoy the people or the the lifestyle but um they 
while I grew up in the industry, around the industry, my parents, they let me do all kinds of things, art class, dance, whatever, but they wouldn't, I remember think they wouldn't get me an agent. Uh, I used to think, why can't we do this like a business? <laughs> then my little kid in me, like I had that kind of business head for it. And they were like, yeah, no, that's not happening. So they were supportive to a point, but then I ended up leaving home at 16 um, and moving to San Francisco. I graduated early and was accepted to a wonderful school in San Francisco. So I left LA for several years, which was a great thing because you want to leave where you grew up ultimately. But um, growing up here, there was just a lot of being around a lot of movie star kids, rock star kids. And it, it was interesting and challenging at the same time, especially if you're like a poor kid who grew up south of Pico, which is what I did. <laughs> so what was it specifically that made you want to be an actor? Was it? You know, I don't, yeah, I don't know how to answer that because it was just a desire, a drive that I always had growing up. Um, I, I just was fascinated by the whole concept of it. I, I'm not sure that I was particularly, um, gosh, driven that way by anybody's influence, but it was just something kind of I always knew I wanted to do. And again, not having the support to be able to do it when I really wanted to at a super young age wasn't helpful because it sure does help to have parents who are like behind you. But it's an awful lot to ask your parents to do, take you to auditions. I mean, it becomes a lifestyle. And we were pretty poor. So we, um, my parents had to work and it wasn't like looking back on it, I, I couldn't have expected them to help me in the business aspect of it. But I, I don't know really what the drive was other than, you know, it felt like a fascination for me and uh, something I love to do. Now, once you moved to San Francisco, yeah. what, how, how did you take the next step to actually getting your career as as being an actor? Yeah, so I went to a school called ACT, which is American Conservatory Theater, and it was a um, probably one of the better conservatories in California for sure. And um, so once I, I went there and I joined a group called the Angels of Light, which was an award-winning theater group, but like they were on a large scale. We're not talking a little dinky theater. We do like theater for 500 people and we'd work on a show all year. We make the costumes, write it. And they were musicals and they were beautiful, absolutely stunning, uh, again, award-winning shows. And I also danced. Um, so the dance and the acting, I was able to maneuver some work, like paying jobs. I had to come back to Los Angeles, however, to actually pursue it, which I did in my 20s. So, and having done that, my, at that point, my father was pretty groovy. He uh, helped me to, I don't know, he got, he didn't, I don't know how this happened, but somehow I got an agent and I can't really remember how I got to him, but he drove me to the appointment that I remember. <laughs> and and uh, so that was, I guess, when I first started to do it, uh, I guess you would call it more professionally. In San Francisco, we got paid, but it was a different world out there. There, there was like one agent and it was mostly for models. And uh, out here, there was even a dance agent, slightly different than San Francisco. So we had a lot, you know, you had to be here in order to pursue it. You really did. 
Right. So once I got, yeah, so once I got an agent, you know, from there it was just a question of getting out, which wasn't easy because I looked different than a lot of women in in this town growing up during my time. I mean, I I definitely uh, didn't look like the girl, all American girl at all. I I I looked different, and that was a, a little bit of a problem at that time. Now it's very cool to look different. But uh, when I was coming up, it, it was confusing. <laughs> well, because people are looking for that you know, unique look or that very distinctive look. So it, you know, no. now you can use that as to your advantage in a way. Absolutely. It's, it's, so, it's absolutely helpful now. I mean, I had this big curly hair and it's at the time and my, my, I still do, but my hair was blue black just naturally dark and my skin was super white so they were like what are you <laughs> and like where where do we put you now it's it's a whole different world they welcome people to be individual and they even have a new category called ethnically ambiguous which i think is hilarious but certainly didn't exist when i was around yeah coming up so it was it was challenging. I would go out with a lot of African American women at my auditions. I I didn't get to ever play like a white girl. That just never would happen. But um, so they yeah, it was confusing for them. Interesting. And it wasn't like an yeah, it was really wild. The, the reaction from people were just it was crazy. So, but it was fun, and I had this groovy agent um, at not initially, but eventually, who was all all about different people. Um, he was just all about that. Like he never had anybody who just was a pretty girl. They had to be something a little exotic to, to even work with him. That was his, his signature. And that was wonderful. We had a great run together. That's fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. I got lucky on that regard, finding him and him finding me and we were good for each other. So, What's it, and yeah. Well, it sounds like the, the timing worked out too. Cause it, I tell people when they're, pursuing some type <laughs> yeah. of a certain career that yeah a lot of it relies on your skill and your drive but there's also it's like the you never quite know when things mm -hmm. are going to work out and there's always about the little yep. timing moments and it, it sounds like that was one of them oh, yeah you're very smart because people um i call it luck and when I talk to especially my peers and bring up the luck factor it, it people get very angry it's like they don't want to accept that luck, which was what you would call timing, uh, exists or that it has anything to do with it. And you can work as hard. As long as you work hard, you're going to get it. No. I mean, there is a piece of luck that you've got to have in order to be able to break through. And uh, you just got to you got to keep working really hard. Someone once said, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I believe that. Yeah, it's just, so, luck's a huge factor. It's just crazy to think that so much can go back to just one specific moment. And you think, well, if that didn't happen, <laughs> you know, you don't know what would have happened from there on out. Oh, God, on every level. That's the truth, too. It's just with the people you meet. And that's the idea of always being prepared. You always have to be prepared because you just never know. Yeah. And I can tell you that I've definitely, looking back at some of the decisions I've made, I wonder, gosh, if only I said yes to that or no to that or whatever, you know, something different. And uh, because you just don't know. That's the truth. You really don't. Yeah. No, that, that's very true. <laughs> so I, I wanted to go back a bit to your time in, in San Francisco. A, oh, sure. As um, 
being a part of a theater and dance group, do you feel like that helped prepare you for your eventual professional acting career? I do. For me, you know, even though acting on stage and acting from the camera, two very different things, there's something that was so spectacular about the Angels of Light, and I'm really dating myself, uh, but the Angels of Light, which were the offshoots of a group that you wouldn't know probably, but they were called the Coquettes. These people, one of the great things about working with them is we were forced to contribute in the show. In other words, you write your part. Uh, the costumes were outrageous and beautiful. Um, the dance, I mean, you had to go beyond your fears. And eventually, I believe that was a, I know it was a huge influence in my life because eventually I started writing and producing and directing. And, and I got to tell you, it just all goes back to that time working with the angels and just stretching myself. Like, I don't know how to do that. It's like, you have to figure out how to do it. And it was wonderful. It was a great uh, learning experience. And it absolutely, it helped me in my career. And, and that's something I like to to chat with people about who have done both theater and you know, acting for film or for TV and just hearing the, the differences because I have so much respect for theater actors because yeah. y- you have to remember so much and there's like no, yeah. there's no real safety net. It seems like, because you're out on the stage yeah. and everything's live. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, that's true. Um, the, well, you know, that is true, but I, I also have to say the idea of there is, they're both, they're challenging in different ways. Obviously, the biggest thing is the proximity of the camera as opposed to the proximity of the audience when in just in terms of stylistically when you're acting. But I, I mean, there's exceptions to every rule because some people like are doing a part on film and the person's a really big person. People are really big in life. And so might be bigger than you might expect, you know, uh, the part to be played. But um don't think for a minute that in film acting you really do need to have a good memory as well Mm -hmm. because we do long takes and sometimes we pick up at the weirdest spots so you've got to be so spot on with what you're doing that in some ways it's a lot more challenging than even doing theater uh theater is very difficult don't get me wrong but it's like you might have to start a scene in the oddest place in the oddest physical position you can imagine just because for the camera and uh it's it's really and you got to play with your mind to make sure that you're in that scene up to that point you know so it's just difficult it can be really challenging but no you don't get the redos you know in theater like you get to do on film that's for sure (laughs) well and that brings up something that you know, whenever I, I directed my first short a couple of years ago and mm. learning the aspect of <clears throat> of everything was just a huge eye opening experience. I mean, you mentioning, you know, having to stop in certain places, you know, like hitting your mark and going yeah. to mark one and mark two. Like that was stuff that I didn't realize until I actually did it. And that's another reason why I uh-huh. respect actors so much is that not only do you have to memorize like where to be at an exact moment in time, but you almost have yeah. to transform yourself in some aspects and become somebody completely mm-hmm. different. But I, I, that, that to me yeah. just seems, it seems like a really fun aspect, like challenging, but also fun. Oh yeah, definitely. It's, I think that's what we all live to do for sure. And, um, 
when you said that uh, you directed uh, and and are you an actor as well? I am not. No, I, I've taken some oh, acting oh, yeah. classes, but um, mm-hmm. I, I've never I've never acted in anything. I should say that. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you certainly learn a lot directing and from your actors, too. Well, and that's, yeah. that's something, too, is that, you know, I feel like everyone should try all aspects of film. Like if someone's primarily an actor, they should try something that's behind the camera. Maybe, maybe not necessarily mm. directing, but something behind the scenes yeah. so that you you realize what the other yeah. person has to do. Because I use this analogy so many times, I'm sure the listeners are probably tired of me using this analogy, but <laughs> filmmaking is like one big machine and all every role from actors to all the way down to PAs are all little cogs in the machine mm-hmm. and they all have to turn and work together to make the machine run. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a total really a, a collaborative experience. Absolutely. And um everyone's got to do their job and do it well, you hope, you know. Yeah. And it's always a miracle when it all comes together. You go, "Oh my god." <laughs> But I also, <laughs> I also think just doing it is the best way to learn, though, especially when it comes to film. Like you can take classes yeah. and I, I think classes are great. You know, like classes I did help teach me the basics with working camera, with lighting, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But actually being on a set and doing it is without a doubt to me the best way to learn. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. What an education. Definitely. Well, yeah, it's tremendous. So kind of transitioning into your, your short film, Wives of the Skies, what was it that, you know, after acting, you know, for as long as you have, what was it that made you want to step behind the camera and do writing and directing? Well, um, I didn't ever think I was going to be directing, I'll be honest. Uh, I, this is now the third thing that I've done. And my initial goal was always to write stuff for myself, of course. And I wrote several features and I think I had pretty early on from the time I started writing scripts, it was, I was successful in that I got, um, they were optioned or I got people interested. I wrote for directors. I've written a little for television. I was, it was very fulfilling for me. Um, it got to the point at one point where I, in order to, well, I had a film that looked like it was a not a huge budget. It was over $3 million, and we were very close to getting it made. And basically, uh, unfortunately, it didn't get made. It was a terrible story. Why it didn't get made? <laughs> a typical Hollywood story, things getting screwed up. And I took the script, and I just did a derivative short feature of that script. And I entered it in a festival, and... I won funding to make it, not this, uh, not Wise of the Skies, but another one called Doc Got Shot. And I starred in it and co-directed it. And I thought, you know what? This is fun. I like it. It was successful, did really well in the um, film festival circuit, et cetera. And I thought, this is great. And then I did it again as a second movie um, that was a short doc and it was qualified for Academy Award. And then this one came along. It was like, gosh, I wrote it several years ago, Wise of the Skies, and um, it, it was a finalist at uh, Slamdance, and I got somebody interested in funding me so I could make it. And really, so the reason I decided to – long answer, I'm sorry. No, you're um, good. To, to, to actually – 
direct was in order to write and get my stuff produced. I thought, well, I'll just direct it. And it was easier that way. For whatever reason, it was easier for me to get money for my own project and direct it than it was to get money and get a director for hire. And also, I knew how I wanted it to be. So I wanted to, I really, really wanted to um, direct this third one more than the other two. This time, I'm like, I'm not even going to be in it. I'm just going to direct it. So, um, so I guess it was in order to get it made, if, if you can believe that. And the person who ended up funding it, part of it was sometimes, you know, it's hard to get money from people. This guy was like, look, I'll give you the money if you direct it. So I'm like, and because he also was an executive producer, his name is Tom Young, on my second film. So that said, that was part of me getting funding in order to do it is that I would have to direct it, which was fine with me. I was thrilled to do it. I was a little nervous, of course, because um, this was a period piece and I didn't know how that was all going to play out. But I was able to, it actually worked out a lot easier than than I thought it would in terms of uh, trying to recreate 1965 wasn't as difficult as I thought it would be. And I also had a great team around me, you know, great cinematographer and a couple of good producers, great actors. And, um, and the script was really well done. And I have to say, you know, it came out really, I was really excited <laughs> by what I saw. <sighs> well, you know, I had the, I had the pleasure of watching it uh, earlier today and, and something that really jumped out at me immediately was that it captured that 60s type of feel to it you know like and I, I, I don't want to yeah. give away like too much that happens in the movie but the way it starts out with the the small picture with like the kind of faded colors that reminds you of the 60s and then even the i love the the title yeah. card with the wide shot and you see the oh, the, the title you. of the movie in that you know psychedelic yeah. type font and the little credits at the bottom like it, just little little things like that really make me happy details. when I watch movies like that. It's, it's like the the little finer details that a lot of people won't yeah. think about. I, I love. Yeah. But it, it was. Oh, me too. But it, it yeah. was. I appreciate that. It was a really fun, you know, movie to watch. Like I, I felt like it was. Oh, thank you. I felt like you captured the the sixties element throughout the whole thing. Yeah. It was super important, given the material. And I have to say, um, I really was a stickler about it. Every single thing in that movie was more or less authentic. Um, the pen, you know, that he had the girls to write their number down with that. Some of the 60s of radio, everything was done like properly. And a lot of the artwork was actual, like incredible art from the 60s that we were saw on the walls. And it was it was about three months prep and on every level. And given that it's a, it's a 20 minute film basically. And it's, you know, the budget wasn't huge. I, I ended up, it was a good learning experience for me because I had to do the costuming. I really had to do the production design. I had to do like everything, get all the dishes and every prop and everything to be just right, you know? And there was some luck. I got some great sets, you know, that I got to work on, but um, like, the hotel, the Sturtis Hotel. Um, that opening Sturtis Hotel was actually a theater in Hollywood that we transformed into a lobby. So, and I had a great production designer jump in there and we built that thing out, you know, and we had to do it like all the morning of. We shot that whole lobby thing in a half a day and the rest of the movie we shot in two days. So we had to work fast and I had such a great team. 
I was really lucky to to have them. Brian Keith Davis was production designer, and Davey Robertson was the, my DP and also uh, the editor on the film. So, well, and that's yeah, it was it was fun. That's very key too about especially a short film because you normally only have a short amount of time to get things yeah. done. So to ha- have an important team is is absolutely crucial. Oh, gosh, yeah, it's everything. And you have to surround yourself with really great people. But you have to also know it's your project and you're going to be doing a lot more than you might do if this was a bigger budget. Like if I had a budget, I might actually have somebody go shopping for me and get all the costumes and, and design them. Like I designed the costume, but I was able to hire somebody at a ridiculously reduced rate to make it for me and things like that. But if I had more money, would I actually be the one going out and finding all the props and the locations? No, someone else might do that. You know, I might make the decision, but I had to do all everything. So, which was fine. It was a great learning experience for me. Yeah. And I'm glad you liked that shot, you know, with the wise of the skies, because we, we had a really, um, that was a last minute shot because eventually I really wanted it to be an elevator door closing and wise of the skies come on like on the doors as it was closing and using that as that last shot but there was no elevator and then we tried to create an elevator and so my dp and i said let's just do a long shot and then we'll do wise of the skies over those windows and um so you know the things that you sometimes plan for what you end up doing turns out to be like the better um shot and we and that was the shot i ended up using for the end of that opening act first act so, yeah, you never quite know how things are going to work out. Like you can plan all you want. And then yeah. and then sometimes you'll think of something on set. You do it and it's way better than you had originally planned it out to be. Oh, yeah. And it was like one of those things that exactly we, we knew. I knew that because we were going to CGI this this elevator. And I said, look, we need a safety. We knew that actually going into it when we looked at the space. And we both said that will be the shot, but we, it wasn't my intention to use that necessarily. My intention was to, again, hopefully do some kind of CGI to make an elevator. I actually wanted to build an elevator like the doors. I thought, how hard can that be? And, but once I realized that my, my production designer was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And he suggested the CGI. I was like, okay, I'm out. We'll, we'll shoot it, but I don't think we're going to use it. So yeah, coming up with that last shot, um, was, was crucial. And it all worked <laughs> and out. Lucky. Yeah. So it worked out better. And then I never went back to that. I never revisited the elevator thing that we tried to shoot. Cause I, I did, I don't CGI. I don't trust that. Even though it's, it's a match, it's a square basically, box of or an elevator i'm like yeah no i don't we don't need to do that this shot is so pretty yeah it's so beautiful and also we created uh a sunshine in there that little sun, you know the sunlight mm-hmm. coming through of course there was no sun coming through so i got my sunshine through there so i was like woohoo we did it we did it and once we turned it into like cinemascope it just really well really looked like a movie after that no, the the whole so, look of it was was fantastic. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, of course we shot the Super Eight part, or it's actually sixteen uh, version through the camera because the guy's making a documentary of these women, mm-hmm. these stewardesses. Um, and he had a great name, by the set. way. Oh yeah, his name is Derek. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, he's and he's such a good actor. His name is Drew Brandon Jones, and he was just tremendous. And uh, all the actors were tremendous. Really, really lucky. Well, that's the thing too yeah. about you know with the short film, you you work with a relatively small cast, so it's almost like you really get to work yeah. hands on with every single actor. So that. Oh uh, uh, yes and no, because timing is everything, mm-hmm. right? So. So yes and no. Yeah, it's it's there weren't a lot of moving parts in that there were four actors. But I had one rehearsal with them for a couple hours to get through the whole script and do all the costuming on a different day. And we did that. So but that was it. Other than that, there wasn't I mean there was we I got to talk to each one of them individually and and uh work with them, but still it's film. You gotta kinda keep it moving. Yeah. And also there is a big element in this movie of the Kimbaku and which for people who don't know what that is, it's the, the uh, art of the Medash uh, Kimbaku, the literal translation is the beauty of tight binding. And that was a really hard thing to pull. I thought to pull off um, because in the movie, I mean, there's, we, we display this Kimbaku and, how how difficult is it to shoot that in a film because you really have to be doing it you have to be those girls were really in it for several hours at a time mm. <laughs> and that gave me a lot of anxiety <laughs> but props to them though for doing it oh my gosh unbelievable and making it look so easy yeah, I was lucky to have a master, a Kimbaku master. His name is Master K, and he wrote the book, The Beauty of Kimbaku, which is a um, amazing book on on Shibari or Kimbaku. And uh, he came on board. I got very lucky. And he let us have a – well, he demanded for us to, to work on this film. He had to have a rehearsal, of course, so that we knew what the design of the roping would be, how we were going to light it, basically, if these women were able to even sustain it to be in it, because there has to be a certain amount of, of uh, what's the word I'm looking for, tension in the roping mm-hmm. to hold the design, because I was pretty ignorant. I'm like, can't you just rig it up and have her slip her arm through? He's like, yeah, no, it doesn't work like that <laughs> at all. Because and that gave me a lot of anxiety. I'm like, oh, how are we ever going to be able to do a film featuring Kimbaku if these women are tied up? I mean, this is insanity. And so uh, I should take incredible safety measures, you know. And ha- and I was just fortunate to have these incredible pros working on it. Otherwise, there, there's no way I could have done it. No way. So I got lucky. <laughs> There's that luck factor. So I did want to ask you about that specifically, and also what was just the general inspiration for coming up with with this story for you? Wow, that's such a good question because the story is just—I never really know exactly where the inspiration comes from. But um, there was the theme throughout the story that there were these beautiful, these good girls that were drawn bad. Right. I mean, these girls were pure and, and, and kind and sweet, but they look like these, the opposite. They look sexy and just, um, unfortunately in this, in the world that we live in, you know, my husband always says to me, oh, you're such a good girl drawn bad because I like such a girl scout. I didn't drink. I don't smoke. Uh, I took care of my mom and my grandma, but I look kind of like a 
cycle flight from Mars. You know, I just didn't look like what I really was. And throughout my career, I got treated in such a way in my life for what I looked like. And that is sort of uh, what happens with these women. The idea of the stewardess is, um, yeah, I could tell you how that happened. I was working with somebody who sent me a link to these stewardess outfits, these vintage stewardess outfits that were on eBay and being bought and sold and bid on for these incredibly expensive, you know, prices. And I, I'm looking at this. There were these vintage stewardess outfits from 1965. I'm like why are they so expensive? And then I saw that they were all being bid and bought and sold by men. So I'm like, oh, there's like this fetish around these stewardess outfits. And that intrigued me. Like, what is this? It wasn't just that they were designer, which they were. Um, designers like Pucci and Saint Yves Saint Laurent and Mary Wells designed these outfits during those days. But there was something else. There was something else going on with these outfits that uh, they were so collectible. And that intrigued me. So that kind of fetish quality to this story kind of, I guess that is what I, with the Kimbaku, which is a fetish, of course, um, somehow they melded together into this movie. And uh, yeah, that's, that was the inspiration. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> interesting very convoluted. because it's almost like a point of symbolism throughout the movie. And I, I mean, the bondage, yeah. because even when, uh, Derek and Kevin go over for dinner. Even the the chicken is bonded in the same yeah. way. So as as like that that surprised yeah. me. Like you know, you lay the chicken out. I'm like, huh, that that's interesting. Yeah, very funny. I mean, we have to, you know, it's a comedy. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, yes, there. When I I'll be honest, when I write something, I never like write anything exact. I never like hit the nail on the head with the hammer. I'm not, I don't drive it home in an obvious way. There's always layers or nuances. And uh, that is uh, this definitely, you know, when it was all said and done, the way I see it is like, this is a commenter. Other people have written like essays about what they thought this movie was, which is fine because it intrigues people. One reviewer really loved it, but she called it, she described it as abject discomfort. I'm like, oh, <laughs> she never once mentioned it was a comedy but she gave it a great review and I was like wow that is interesting so th there is like that and I love movies that um, other people I love it when people have their take on it and is the bondage for the way that they were treated in society I mean because as a stewardess there were a lot of rules you had to be a certain age certain height certain weight you had to wear certain undergarments and you were yeah, there was sort of um and at the time, people, women weren't even in the workforce, really. So this this was definitely, you know, a loaded subject for people. Well, and that's the beauty no, of that's the beauty of movies is that it, it can mean yeah. movies can mean so many things to so many different people. Yeah, like I, exactly. I could take a movie in a way completely different than you do. So that that's kind of the exciting yeah. thing about it is that they mean so much and that's why I think movies and I give so much credit to people who can draw and paint incredible paintings, murals. But yeah. to me, movies, the art of filmmaking to me is the greatest art form that there is. And I think that is my reason why I believe that. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I mean, so much is imbued upon your 
piece by other people. And that's wonderful. That's, that's the greatest part of it. It's exciting. And uh, it's really, I love that. And a lot of people watching this movie, they're a lot smarter than I am. You know, <laughs> My mind doesn't analyze in the same way as, as some people do. Um, and that's fine too. You know, they take a different almost meta position watching it. So I, I love that. I love that about this film particular. And uh, that's uh, been exciting for me with this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, as we, as we start to wrap up here, I did want to ask yeah. you what, what's next for you? Do you have any other uh, writing, yeah. directing aspirations? Do you have any other, I mean, I know where it's a little bit of a, interesting situation because of what's going on in the world right now but do you have anything yeah. in the works as far as sometime down in the future yes um well and on the acting front and well i don't know if it's going to happen at the end of april uh there's a tv show called nights of swing that it's new it's new and um they only made the pilot now they're starting the series and it's about uh high school kids in 1947 who put together a swing band in high school with the, they elicit the help of their teacher and they're successful and it's really good kind of wonderful programming in terms of um, kind of a throwback. And so these people um, made the pilot and now they're making the series. And I was cast as a recurring role on the series as the mother to one of the female vocalists in this swing band. So we'll see if it happens at the end of April. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> and as far as the writing goes, I do have several scripts. And um, we'll see. I'm hoping to get one particular one made sooner than later. And I'm also about three quarters done with a novel that I've been writing. So, Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. In fact, during this time of stay at home, I have no choice now, do I, but to finish my book. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, now you have to. It's like, oh, I don't want to. Oh, well, I guess I have to. So, but let's hope that we all get through this and we get through this alive. You know, we survive this time, not to sound so dramatic, but it does feel pretty dire and frightening for a lot of people so i'm praying for the universe right now <laughs> yeah same definitely same yeah i used to pray for other things kind of like oh please let me get this audition <laughs> it's sort of funny now i can't even think about things like I, can i ever think like that now it's like let us live through this thank you <laughs> yeah no i i absolutely know what you mean so if you had one piece of advice to give to an aspiring filmmaker or actor, what would it be? Mm. Well, I'm there's so much to to say, but I guess if I had one piece of advice, is that you need to keep perspective about the whole thing. Um, in that, there's so much rejection, whether you're a filmmaker or an actor or writer even, and it's just to keep the perspective about it and don't let the forces that seem like they're working against you because this is a difficult industry. Do not buy into it. You got to keep it going. You've got to keep your head down and keep going and don't be stopped by you know, 
through what people call rejection. So I, I just, I think that's resilience is, is the word I'm looking for here. You have to be resilient and keep going, just keep going and enjoy what you're doing and just feel like, look, I'm just enjoy where you're at as you're going through it because very few people get to ah, be um, so lucky as to just have it all break for them so quickly. You have to learn how to zig and zag within the journey of it all. For example, if you thought you just wanted to be an actor, maybe you might be a writer too. You know, just be open to the zigzag, <laughs> if you will, because there's you've got to be flexible and resilient in this industry if you want to work in it. Well, that's just good life advice in general, the zigzag, because that's yeah. what life is. Yeah. Yeah. Right now is really a big lesson for all of us on the universe right now, for sure. And it's so it's like um, I can't imagine what it must be to be even like 20 years old right now and or, or 25 years old in, in, in the universe and see this happen and go, wow, they, there must, it must be like, will we get through it? Like, what's the point? People must be doing this sort of existential two-step going, why, what? And uh, I think well, this is an opportunity for all of us right now. We have to look at it like this and, and keep doing your art. So yep. that's... Yeah. Nope. That's keep going. That's very true. And last yeah. question: Do you have any websites mm -hmm. or social media you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? Oh sure. Yeah. Well, um, my my Instagram is at honey lauren. I spell my name L A U R E N honey H O N E Y. And uh, of course, um, Instagram and Facebook. I'm honey lauren. There's also a Facebook page for this film wives of the skies and there's also a website for myself honeylauren.net and there's uh wives of the skies.com so uh we try to update things i try to update facebook as much as i can within the environment that it is now though it's been a little more challenging because i have to be sensitive to what's going on in the world but uh, people can absolutely reach me at any one of these places so um, and I hope they do I think I'm on Twitter also as at honey gay h-o-n-e-y-g-a-y at honey gay fantastic well thank you so much thank for taking the time to do the podcast this was this was fantastic thank you Derek I really appreciate your time and and wanting to talk about um, the industry with me and I, I just really appreciate it and I'll look forward to hopefully talking to you again and I'll let you know when uh, eventually we'll stream the movie right now we're trying to do festival even though the festivals have been pretty much postponed in the foreseeable future but um, eventually the life of the film it gets online so I'll get back to you when when we know more about where we're going to put it on what platform yeah, for sure. Now look forward to talking with you again. Thank you. Me too. Thank you so kindly. Have a good day. Thanks again to Honey Lauren for coming on the show. And thank you to those who watched my review of the Aeronauts on Facebook Live this week. As I mentioned, I'm going to be doing live shows every Tuesday uh, for the foreseeable future at 8 p.m. Central Time at Facebook.com slash Podcast. Really until this whole coronavirus thing is gone and some semblance of normalcy returns. That's what I'm going to be doing for the podcast from here on out. And every week you get to vote on what I'll be reviewing for the live show. So if you want to go to facebook.com slash ddiamondpodcast 
and go to Twitter at D Diamond Podcast. You can find the poll to vote on what I'll be reviewing next week. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can follow me on all forms of social media at D Diamond Podcast. And thank you to the Unicorn Wranglers for providing the theme music for the podcast. You can find all their music on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. Oh, and before I forget, you can also check out my daily morning show, The Daily Diamond, which is a Facebook exclusive. Again, facebook.com slash Podcast. You can find that every morning at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. This week, I'm still discussing movies and shows you can watch while quarantined. I'm going to change up the topic a little bit for next week. I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing yet, but you'll have to stay tuned to social media to find out. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys this Tuesday on Facebook Live.